I'm going to start a, a new series today. I was very tempted to start a series on uh, 2020 vision. <laughs> but I figured every other church was going to do that. You know, every preacher is going to take uh, this opportunity to talk about 2020 vision. So I, I resisted the temptation. What I would like to do is start a new series through the month of January, just a short series, from the book of Psalms. And we're going to learn from a few of the Psalms, this Old Testament book written over 3,000 years ago. We're going to learn how the Bible answers some of the most pertinent and difficult questions that can be asked in our world today. So I've entitled this series, Tough Questions. And maybe you have asked yourself or others these questions that we're going to deal with over the next few weeks. The first question is, why am I not happy? Okay. Why am I not happy? Or let me turn the question around and say, can you really be happy in life? I mean, is there a possibility that you can be happy in life? Or let me ask you this way and don't answer, are you happy? I mean, right now, are you happy? Or are you like the woman that I talked to years ago? She was raised in a Christian home. She was a believer, active in church. She had a wonderful family, great kids, awesome husband. But she said, I have never been happy a day in my life. Huh. Or maybe you're like this. Maybe you're happy one day <laughs> and not so much the next day. Or let me ask the question in a different way. If your life didn't change any from this moment on, if your situation didn't improve, if your marital status didn't change, if your career did not progress, if your body didn't feel any better than it does today, could you be happy in life? Well, the book of Psalms opens with an awesome word. Uh, we're going to read it here in a moment out of the New King James translation. And the very first word is the word what? Blessed. Blessed is the man. Did you know that the word blessed in the Hebrew language is the word ashray? It literally means happy. And in some of the more modern translations, they translate it in that way. Happy. Happy is the man. So can we be really happy in life? And if so, how can we be happy? Now, I know what a bunch of y'all are thinking right now because I've been around you a long time and, and I know how your brains work. You're saying, uh-huh, and he's about to ask, where do we get our happiness? And I know what he's going to say, Jesus. Yeah? And, and literally it is, the answer is Jesus. Kind of reminds me of that Sunday school teacher who had her first grade class and asked them, okay, what am I? I I'm gray, I have four paws, I have a bushy tail, and I eat acorns. What am I? And one little boy raised his hand and he said, well, teacher, it sounds like a squirrel, but since we're in Sunday school, the answer's got to be Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the, the answer is, but, but, but I think this psalm tells us that there, there is a little bit more to it than that. And so let's read Psalms 1. Uh, there's only six verses, so let me just read them to you. Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor does he stand in the way or the path of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this delight, he meditates 
all day long. He shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners stand in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Lord, I thank you for your word. As I try to speak it on the outside, I pray that you would speak it into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is a very simple psalm to learn from. It, It compares and contrasts two different groups of people. It compares godly people to ungodly people. And it says, those who walk with God are like these trees whose roots grow deep into the earth and they are fed by the streams of water and they bear fruit in the proper season and, listen to this, whatever they do prospers. That's the godly person. The ungodly are are not like that. They are contrasted in this way. It says they're like chaff. Now, maybe you don't know what chaff is. Chaff is the casing that goes around the head of wheat. The seed is under the chaff. And in Old Testament times, when they harvested wheat, they would take the wheat and throw it up into the air, and the wind, as it blew, would blow the chaff because it's very light. It would blow it off of the head of that wheat And the wheat would fall back down to the ground, but the chaff would just blow away. And he is using that metaphor to show you why those who know God can be happy in a way that those who don't know God cannot be. And he identifies two things that the world, people of the world, usually look to to make them happy. This is what the world is looking. They think, if I can just have this thing, I will be happy. But he tells us these two things will never make you happy. And what are they? Number one, you won't be happy when your happiness is based on circumstances. Look at verse 3 again. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its, what's that word? Season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So the psalmist is assuming here in verse 3 that life, our life, goes through different seasons. And that is so true, isn't it? Spring and summer are the seasons that that are uh, best for, and the environment is most favorable for life and growth isn't it? You think about planting trees or planting a harvest. You you, you plant it in the spring and and the rains come and the sun is shining and it produces fruit. Winter time, winter seasons are difficult. They're hard. And winter brings death to the environment. Drought seasons can come and they can threaten to starve you. And here's the point. You cannot, no matter how hard you try, you cannot cut out the drought and the winter seasons from your life. They're just going to happen. And if your happiness is dependent on being 
constantly in a springtime or a summer season, then happiness for you is going to be elusive. You're, you're never going to be happy. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Tim Keller talks about that. He says that in the modern world, the, our modern approach to happiness is to remove any and all suffering. It is to remove pain. Or if you can't, then just sedate it. Eliminate disease. Eliminate discouragement. Eliminate injustice. You know what? That, that's, that's a worthy goal, <laughs> And I can tell you that's what our world is trying to do. They're trying to eliminate all pain and all suffering. If they can't eliminate it, they're certainly trying to sedate it. But here's what Keller goes on to say. No amount of money or power or planning can prevent bereavement or dire illness or relationship betrayal or financial disaster, or a host of other problems from entering your life. And he ends by saying this, human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces that are beyond our power to manage. Wow. Wow. You're never going to succeed by removing pain and suffering from your life. And if our whole strategy for being happy is getting in and staying in one of these summer or springtime seasons, then you know what? We're always going to fail. Because, it, listen to me, it just ain't going to happen. Well, I, I wanted to know how the world thinks about how you can be happy, so I Googled it. <laughs> That's all you got to do to find out what the world thinks. So I Googled how to be happy. And man, I, I can't, I, tons of lists. You know, five ways to be happy, 10 ways to be happy, 20 way, 50 ways to be happy. And I read through all of these lists, and, and they were from the world's perspective, and I condensed it down to the top five, the five things that were, that were found in each one of these lists. And I just wanted to throw them up because this is what our world thinks. They think you can be happy, number one, by being optimistic. Now, you know what? I'm not against that. I, I want to be optimistic, don't you? And I want you to be optimistic. I don't want to be around negative people, do you? I, I want to be around positive people. But I got a problem with that. Because what if your life is a huge mess? And, and there is no prospect for it getting better anytime soon. I mean, what are we going to do then? Just ignore the facts and assume things are going to get better? There's got to be more to it than that. Number two, I like this one. Follow your gut. You want to be happy? Follow your gut. Really, it doesn't mean your gut, your intestines. What he's talking about is, is being happy. It, it, being happy means you follow your heart. You just follow your heart. Whatever your heart says to do, that's what you do. But church, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else. And your heart is desperately wicked. So by all means, do everything your heart says. Not... <laughs> Here's the world's philosophy. No one who ever followed their heart ended up unhappy. Miley Cyrus said that. <laughs> so by all means, you know, you got to believe that. Yeah. Number three, own yourself. If you want to be happy, own yourself. Meaning, don't apologize for who you are. Why? Because you're awesome. 
But what if you aren't awesome? I mean, what do you do then? What, 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 what if you have some serious flaws and some character defect? I mean, what, what do you do then that, that need addressing? Hmm. Number four, have enough, make enough money to meet your basic needs. You'll be happy if, if you don't have to worry about that. You got enough money to pay your bills and meet your basic needs. Now, that's great, I suppose, but what about if you lose your job? Or what about if you have a, a, a sickness? Or what about if your middle daughter gets married in Waco? And, and most of the unhappy people I know make enough money to meet their basic needs. So why are they still unhappy? And then number five, I'll end with this because you're getting bored with it. Here, here it is. You want to be happy? Just smile. You know, smile. That's right. If all else fails, just smile. Fake it. That's what it's saying. Just fake it. And I read these lists, and, and I thought to myself, are you serious? Is that the best the world has to offer? Is your happiness dependent upon happenings? Is it dependent upon circumstances? Church, let me tell you, you need something deeper than circumstances. You need roots that go down deep into something that can endure both winter and summer seasons. A couple of chapters over, here's what the psalmist says, Psalms 4, verse 7. You, he's talking to God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have, talking about other people, when their grain and their wine abound. So he's comparing his life to the lives of other people in the world. And he's saying, here are these people that are having a great harvest. It has been a wonderful spring season and an often awesome summer season. And they have all the grain and all the wine that they've ever had before. They have more than they've ever had. I mean, it's a bumper crop and they are just filled with joy. But he says, God, you give me more joy than they have. You, God, are more joy to me than then, them. And, and, and when I'm in a season where my grain and my wine don't abound, it's still going to be okay because I have God. Now, listen to me, church. For the Christian, seasons of drought actually can deepen your joy because those seasons drive your roots to go deeper down into Jesus Christ. And in those seasons where Christ is all that you have, you will soon see that Christ is all you need. Amen. Number two, you won't be happy when you have no other point of anchor outside of yourself. We're going to see this in verses 4 and 5. But let's go back to verse number 3. Remember what he said in verse 3? The happy man is the man who has deep roots that are anchoring him. And this right here attacks one of our cultural myths that we have in America today. This cultural myth is the belief that happiness comes from complete freedom. You'll be happy when you answer to no one other than yourself. You will be happy when you are free to make up your own rules. You will only be happy when you can define your own meaning 
in life. Well, I like what C.S. Lewis says about this. He compared this to the fish who decided he wanted to be free by escaping the confines of the water. And so what did he do? He flopped out of the ocean. Now, true, he is now free from the confines of the water, but is he happy? (laughs) Absolutely not. Why? Because fish were made for water. And here it is, one of the deepest theological thoughts you can have today. You were made for God. And the only way you can be really happy is when you sink your roots into God. Do you know what a tree is without roots? It's a tumbleweed. Y'all know tumbleweeds? You know, I should have had a picture of a tumbleweed up here. I grew up with tumbleweeds. In West Texas, they're blowing around everywhere out there. Now, it is true that a tumbleweed is freer than a tree. But it's not happier. I can tell you this. No way is it happier. Look at how the psalmist unwraps all of this in verse number 4. He says, The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. So when we're not anchored into something that is outside of ourselves... There comes a point at which we are finished. I mean, we're gone. We're forgotten. Nothing matters. Why? Because we're blown away. We live our life. We're born. We live our life. And then if you don't have God, if you don't have something that you're anchored into, you just die and you're gone. And when you begin to think about life in that way, an incredible despair starts to encroach upon you. I mean, what a bad thing to think about. That's not going to make you happy, is it? When you think about life in that way. You say, oh, oh no, I'll just have fun while I'm here. You know, YOLO. Y'all know YOLO? You only live once? Heard that? How many of y'all were watching the Houston game last night? Zane and I were watching Houston game. Booger McFarland, y'all know Booger? What a great name. I, gotta love, I just love Booger's name. He's ex-football player, now he's an announcer. What did he, he said YOLO. And I looked at Zane and I said, Booger just said YOLO. He was talking about a receiver that would go down the field and just, you know, just put his life, as, kind of like Lucas used to, just put his life out there. Didn't matter if he got hit. Why? Because you only live once. And can I tell you, that is the philosophy that our world lives by. You only live once. And you know what? That may work for a while when you're young, but as you start to age, you start fighting off this suffocating futility that presses in on you because your life is brief and you're going to be gone. And if your life has no anchor outside of itself, you know what it is? It's chaff with no real permanence, signifying nothing. Now, as bad as that is to think about life that way, that, you know, you're just done and finished and it's over and nobody's going to remember you, if that's not bad enough, he goes on in verse number 5 and says this, the ungodly will not survive the judgment. So not only for unsaved people is life here meaningless, it even gets worse because at the end, you're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
And the Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. So at the end of life, you stand before God. And if you've not accepted his good gift of salvation, you are going to hear him say, depart from me. Ye who work iniquity, I never knew you. Condemned. Now, what's it like for you to think about that moment? Really? Have you thought about that? You say, Will, you sound like one of those crazy pit preachers <laughs> preaching like that. Well, maybe I do, but you know what? You need to hear this. It's a reality. It's, it's going to happen. Jesus asked the question, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So I've got to ask you, what accomplishment will you trade for your soul? What earthly dream will you say is worth forfeiting your soul over for all eternity? So are you picking up what I'm putting down? You need roots in something other than yourself. Psalm 1 tells us, the man who knows God lives with an abundant, never-ceasing source of joy that endures throughout all seasons of his life. And when he dies, he's going to be received up into eternal glory and spend eternity in heaven. The ungodly live with an increasingly suffocating sense of futility. They have no recourse in pain. They can find no deeper meaning in suffering. And when they die... They have the judgment and hellfire to look forward to. And that's Psalms 1. The godly, the ungodly. But the psalmist does one other thing here that I want you to see before we finish. I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes on this as we close. Because he reveals for us the secret to being really happy. And that's what this is all about. If, if you want to be happy, here, here's the way to do it. This is the approach that we need to take. And he tells us it's not simply enough to be a Christian or to try Jesus or to, to go to church or to let go and let God. He gets more detailed than that. Let's go back to verse number one. What does he say there? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. What he's talking about there is the way you think. You're not listening to the counsel, the verbiage, the philosophy of the world. Right? It's the way you think. He goes on to say in the next phrase, nor does he stand in the way of sinners. What he's talking about there is how you behave. Because listen to me, whoever you hang around, that's what you're going to become. And if you're hanging around sinners, that's the way you're going to behave. And then he says, nor does he sit in the seat of the scoffers. Now, in Jewish culture, where you sat showed where you belonged. Men sat with men. Old men sat with old men. Young men sat with young men. What he's talking about here is your identity. And here's what he's saying. Let your mind, let your behavior, let your identity be shaped 
Not by the world, but by the Word of God. You have to drive the roots of your soul deep down into the gospel so that your thinking, your actions, your identity are shaped by the Word of God. In other words, the gospel needs to become the anchor of your soul. You need to have roots that go down so deep that no matter what seasons of life you go through, whether it's winters of loneliness or droughts of depression or storms of temptation, that your soul is going to remain steadfast and sure. The secret to happiness is driving your roots into God. In light of that, some of us in this room need to get serious about a couple of things in 2020. Number one, we need to get serious about the Word of God. Look with me again at verse number two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Everybody say the word delight on three. One, two, three. His delight is in the word of God. And in his law, which is the word of God, he what? Meditates. How long? All day long and all night long. This verse, let me turn it around. It says, meditation brings delight. When I'm meditating in the word of God, there is delight, there's joy, there's happiness in my life. Why? Because the roots of my life are going down into the person of God because his word is alive. And as I read his word, God is infused inside of me. And as I meditate daily on his word, there is delight that comes to my life. Let me say it like this. Meditation is not a duty, it's a delight. And we got that messed up in our world. Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago about uh, when I fell in love with Miss Angie at Archer at Hillsdale. It's been a long time ago. I, th- I calculate it's been 38 years ago, baby, that, that we fell in love with each other. And let me tell you, I, I thought about her all the time. My, my senior year at Hillsdale, I was, I was studying theology, but instead of thinking about theology, I was thinking angiology. Literally, I can, I can remember being up in the, the A building, listening to Dr. Marbury teach church history, and my mind wasn't thinking about church history. I was, I was thinking about Angie. I thought about her all the time. David, I thought about her all the time. All day long, I was thinking about Angie. Oh, I love Angie. I dreamed about her at night. And it was not a duty to think about Angie. It was a delight. Are you with me? My, my point is this, that the word of God becomes such a delight in your heart that it frees you from the seductions of this world. My, my prayer for you is that you'll escape the pleasures of the world through a greater pleasure in the word of God. It, it reminds me of that old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world, they're not going to matter anymore. They're going to escape. They're going to fall away. Why? Because you love Jesus. Now, some of you in this room have never experienced that. Why? Because the word of God is just a religious duty to you. It's on your daily checklist. It's something that you feel guilty about when you don't do it. It doesn't bring delight. It's a duty to you. 
You need to hear the words of Jonathan Edwards, a, a preacher from generations ago. We don't talk like Jonathan Edwards used to talk, but, but try to pick up what he's saying in this statement. He said, sometimes only mentioning a single word from the Bible will cause my heart to burn within me. Only seeing the name of Jesus or some attribute of God will suddenly make my heart burn inside of me. And God suddenly appears glorious to me, making me have exalting thoughts of Him. And when I enjoy this sweetness, it seems to carry me above the thoughts of my own estate. It seems that at such times, I am at such a loss that I cannot bear the thought of taking my mind off of God and putting my mind on myself. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jonathan. Do you know anything about that? Is there delight in your life because you're reading the Word of God? That comes through meditating on the Word. Not only do we delight in the Word, we meditate on the Word. You see that there in verse number 2. On His law doth He meditate day and night. The, the Hebrew word for meditate literally means mumble to yourself. Have you ever mumbled to yourself? How many of you are in the habit of mumbling to yourself? Look, I'm raising my hand. I do it all the time. And Angie just looks at me and thinks, you're doing it again, dude. Quit. I preach to myself a whole lot, you know, but I just, that's what this word is talking about. You get up in the morning and you read the word of God and then what do you do? You mumble what you've read in the morning all day long. You're constantly thinking about the word of God day and night. I've heard preachers compare this to the way a cow chews its cud. You familiar with that? Old cow wakes up in the morning, goes out in the field and eats grass. And after he gets a mouthful of grass and, and chews it and swallows it, he lays down and takes a nap. That's why I love cows. After they eat, they, they take a nap. And then they, they wake up, and what do they do? They regurgitate that grass, and they keep chewing it, swallowing the nutrients that are in the grass. And then they take another nap. And then they'll wake up and regurgitate, and they'll chew the grass until all the nutrients are extracted from the grass. And the Bible is saying that's what we need to be doing every day with the Word of God. Thinking, muttering it over and over, drawing out all the nutrients that are in that passage, thinking about it day and night. So write this down, write this, everybody write this down. You ready? Because this is significant. Man, this is big. Here it is, my word for you today. Read your Bible. I said, read your Bible. You got that? Read your Bible like a cow. Okay. Have, you ever, have you ever heard a, a sermon application like that? In other words, be the cow. Okay, Be the cow. You will only delight in the Word of God when you meditate on it. And so look at me. We need to get a whole lot more serious about the Word of God in 2020 than we've ever been before. You need to read it daily. And I'm, I'm issuing a challenge to all of you. Through this year, read your Bible every day. I mean, it's never been easier. If, if you got a, a, a mobile device, you, I mean, iPad or phone, it, 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 there's, a, there's an application for the Word of God. And for the past, I don't know, 
seven, eight years, I've been reading my daily scriptures from my iPhone. Every morning I'll read it from, and it keeps up with it. It tells me what to read every day. And if you don't have that technology or you don't want to do that, do it the old-fashioned way, man. Blow the dust off your Bible and start reading it. I, I told first service people that, that on the, the last day of the year, I saw a post from my sister, uh, Sherita, S-H-E-R-E-A-T-A. I've, I've got to spell it every time I say it because it's such an unusual name. Where did y'all get that name? I don't, I don't know where you got the name, but it's a cool name. My sister has Sherita, and she posted the last day of the year a picture of her Bible. It was on the very last page of the Bible, the end of the book of Revelation, and it was, it was, her Bible's old, and, and it reminded me of Grandma Harmon's Bible. And she said something like this, I've done it again. I've read the Bible through again in a year. And then she said, thanks, thanks, Mom and Dad, for teaching us that reading the Bible is important. Church, let me tell you, your spiritual life depends on your reading of this book. I mean, it's, it's great to come here and hear sermons, but you need more than that. You need to read it every day. And that actually leads me to, to point number two. Not only do you need to be more serious about the Word of God, number two, you need to get serious about this church. He said in verse one, don't stand in the way of sinners. And he goes on to say, nor find your place among the scoffers. Don't be, don't be spending all of your time hanging around and out with these people of the world. Now, again, I, I, I don't have time to get into this, but you know what? You can't, you can't separate yourself from this world because we're in this world. And you know what? I guess it would be great. I don't know if we had some free will Baptist monastery we could all live in and, you know, be at harmony all the time. But you know what? God wants us to be in the world because we're the light of the world. And the only way the world is going to change is when we help people change. But, but what Psalms 1 is telling us is that your best friends, your buddies, the people that you connect with, the people that you have community with, don't need to be people from the world. They need to be God's people. Now, let me say this, and you might disagree or misunderstand me, but let me say it anyway. Sermons might inspire you, and I hope they do. I hope whether it's myself preaching or one of the other staff members, I hope that when you come here on Sunday mornings, you are inspired by the sermons. Sermons may inspire you, but it is the community of faith that shapes you. And you need to be a part of a gospel church. L listen to this. Your friends are your future you. And if you want to know what you're going to look like and be like in a few years, will you just turn around and look at the people you're hanging out with? And let me say, this is so much more important when it comes to our kids. Right, Brother Nathan? We're connecting right here. Your kids, your teenagers, your children, if you want to know what they're going to look like in a few years, you, you just take a good look at who they're hanging out with because they will have an impact on them. Your friends are your future you. Therefore, it is important, if not imperative, that the church become your community. The church should not only be an event that you attend on the weekend. This church needs to be your life. It needs to be your community. 
your best and deepest relationships should come from other believers. They should be right here. So volunteer. Get, get in a small group setting. Be a part. And if you don't have that, Lord, help me when I say this. If you don't have that in your life, it ain't nobody's fault but yours. I've been in little bitty churches, medium-sized churches, big churches. You can find community where God puts you. And there are places of service and community at Kavanaugh Church. And if you don't have it, nobody's fault but yours. So, let me change gears and say, do you want to be happy? Come on, do you want to be happy? Come, do you want to be happy? If you want to be happy, raise your right hand. Repeat after, no. <laughs> yeah, we want to be happy. So here's how you do it. You devote yourself to the Word of God and to the people of God. That's, how you're, that's what Psalm 1 says. You really want happy? Happiness belongs to the man who has devoted himself to the Word of God and to the people of God. There is so much joy in God. In fact, the Bible says, in your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friend, the most intense joy that you can experience, the greatest happiness that you will ever have is in a relationship with God. When you sink your roots deep into the Word of God and into His church. You know what that means? It means there's no holding back, man. If you're going to go, you got to go all the way. There's no fence straddling. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said that the half-committed Christian is the most miserable person on earth. He said he, he's got just enough uh, of himself in the world to be miserable in the presence of God, and he's just enough into the world to be miserable, just enough into God to be miserable in the world. I really botched that up, didn't I? You get what I'm saying? Just a little bit of God, you're miserable in the world. A little bit of the world, you can't stand in the presence of God. So my challenge to you, 2020, is go all the way, man. Go all in. Or go home. <laughs> and if you go home, you ain't ever going to be happy. <laughs>